this is Nicole jumping in at the top of the episode. I acted as editor for this episode, and I just wanted to apologize in advance for the audio quality of my vocal track. I did have a lot of technical issues the day that we were recording, and in fact had to do a lot of the recording from my phone, and the quality will reflect that. I did get the volume to even out. I did the best I could. It is very listenable, but I just wanted to let you know that we're aware that it doesn't live up to its usual standard. I also wanted to apologize because this isn't as fancy as the job that I did on my first editing attempt on the social network which was full of clips and fancy edits. This one, I was unable to find much of any sort of clip for for love or money, and you'll probably guess why over the course of the episode. I hope you'll enjoy. Hello and welcome to Movie Go Round, the podcast that rotates among different themes each week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is PrimeFlix Roulette. Hello everybody, my name is Brett Stewart. Joining me this evening for Netflix Roulette, now PrimeFlix Roulette, because we've incorporated Amazon Prime movies into the running, Nicole Davis, how are you? I'm good, although I've been spending all my time on Netflix uh, catching up on slash binging slash spending an insane amount of time watching all of Schitt's Creek, all six seasons, and I'll probably do it again because I need comfort watching right now. So that's what I'm doing. I'm I'm seeing it for the first time, and my fiance is a big fan of it, and she's seen it all the way through, and, and we're in season four right now. And I have to tell you, it's just like a big warm hug just watching mm-hmm. that show. It's just Absolutely. a hug. Is Patrick in season four? Oh, yes. I love Patrick. Oh, yeah. Patrick's, Patrick's great. Best. Patrick is the best. Can we just talk about Shit's Creek instead of this movie? <laughs> is that an option? <laughs> uh, alas, David Luzader, how are you? I'm doing well, Brett. I'm glad you met me here outside of this dilapidated building because I have something I want to show you. It's a very expensive piece of glass that I have had commissioned, apparently, that I keep between two pallets wrapped inside of a blanket that I'm going to fit into what is a post that I have cut just just so. So when you stand at this angle, you can see what this building might be. It's romantic, David. The river, the <laughs> sure. dog, the dog. Uh, we watched a movie from 1993 called For Love or Money. We spun the Netflix wheel, and that actually is on Netflix. So even though Prime is in the running, it, it ended up being on Netflix. Uh, before I talk a little bit about it, give you a synopsis if you want one uh david luzader do you have something better to watch next week next week for future classics oh yeah i have something uh, fantastic for us to watch there's a movie that i've wanted to bring for a very very long time to future classics but it's one i've held off because it's not really an easy one to get a hold of here but at this point i'm just throwing my arms up and i'm saying screw it we're watching your name find it however (gasps) you can find it Kind of glad you're doing that, actually. It's on my around-the-world list, 
And I mixed on that. And I was thinking to myself, I know David's going to want to bring it up sometime. So I better not do that. (laughs) I I almost saw this in theaters because I remember it. I remember seeing the trailer and it being shown at the music box here in Chicago. And just that weekend didn't work for me and we didn't end up going. But I remember just hearing nothing but praise about it. So I'm very excited. Yeah, it's a fantastic movie. I love everything about it. And I I can't just wait any longer for it to be on a streaming service. (laughs) It's okay. We're happy to rent. All right. Well, check out Your Name from 2016. Again, that is an anime film. Be sure to check it out if you want to follow along for future classics next week for David's pick. But for today, we're watching For Love or Money. Uh, It came out in 1993. A hotel concierge, not a bellhop. He's a concierge. A hotel concierge has a dream of building his own hotel, but needs someone to finance it. Little does he know that the mistress of his potential backer is the very girl. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Sorry, dozed. I dozed off there first. He's got a crush on this girl. Uh, does he? Sure. <laughs> he enjoys coming to periodically harass her at the perfume counter. Apparently. That's the extent of their relationship is they have seen one another once every couple of weeks. And apparently he sexually harasses her customers on a regular basis. But they love it, according to <laughs> this movie. He, uh, this, yeah, so so he's he plays this concierge who goes on elaborate errands for incredibly rich people that go to his hotel and... In those errands, he frequently heads on over to the Bloomingdale's or whatever the sure. the place is that she's working at the counter, at the perfume counter, and, and flirts with her, and she's just not interested in him. She's has a boyfriend. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I got that. Is that that's just kind of how... I, I, never, I never got that they like had an initial attraction, aside from like, we're both young and attractive. Like I never got that their relationship was anything more than like him showing up and teasing her and asking her on a date because apparently she's the only woman of his age that he interacts with on any sort of regular <laughs> basis. It's because they have no chemistry. Whatsoever. That also doesn't help. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely none. And he insults her like the first thing. Yeah. I mean, he's not ter- he's not terribly far off the mark when he says, "I'll come back twenty years when I'm rich and married, and then you'll want me," because Ooh. that is indeed her current relationship. But like. He immediately insults her. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, as, and I suppose it'll jump me to one of my discussion topics right away, which is th- whoever wrote this movie thinks that women are so stupid because every single woman in this movie is treated like a complete imbecile. Yep. They're they're written like they have no agency or opinion or anything. And their entire purpose is for more important men to treat them like accessories. And it is just so... And or buy them expensive uh, gifts. Right, right. And like all the women in the movie are just okay with it. Like you have the, you have this woman we're talking about, the main love interest, Andy, who is Mm -hmm. the, you know, she's being doted on by a rich Englishman, 20 years her senior or whatever, that... It has a wife, and then you have the old lady working at the hotel that Doug interacts with, Doug being Michael J. Fox, and she's like putsy and doesn't know what she's doing, and she's annoying and, and like a grandma. And then you have the wife of the one guy at the hotel that's trying to save his romance, and she's just cold and angry for like no apparent reason. And it's like every woman in this movie is written to be so dislikable. 
and it's the the horrible. I mean, the, the women are poorly written, and the men are written in such a way to make them bad people. Except for the the hundred year old bellhop. Well, yeah, played by the wonderful Fivish Finkel, and I mean, what is he doing here? So one thing <laughs> I, I just discovered is that the people who wrote this movie also wrote 2001's Planet of the Apes. And uh, Mighty Joe Young was their movie just before that, so they had a real ape streak going. And uh, <laughs> and Superman for the Quest for Peace, so they did not have a great track record leading up to this. Yep, sure didn't. Yeah, and and, and I think this also leads into a discussion from Nicole, which is too bad the heart of this movie is Michael Tucker instead of Michael J. Fox. I found him to be like the one of the very few likable characters. He's the oh, yeah. husband in the couple that are trying to revive their marriage. Yeah, Mr. Harry Wegman. Hey, Mr. Wegman, yes. yeah. Which uh, there's a grocery store chain called Wegmans <laughs> that the whole time my girlfriend and I were just like, is that is that the guy who started Wegmans? Yeah, and, he, and Nicole, you're totally right. Because whenever he's there, it's like, like I said, it's written in such a way where the audience is supposed to sympathize with him for having a cold wife because he seems to just not be doing a ton wrong. Uh, I mean, he shows a little bit of disinterest and he's kind of not doing anything right. aloof, but he's, he tries by the end of the movie, but it's just yeah. so poorly written and, but he's, he's very cute and, and mostly endearing and Michael J. Fox, like he's very charismatic in this movie. Is he though? I think he kind of <laughs> is when he's like slinging his, his like, concierge lingo around and and sweet talking everyone but like it doesn't work for him it, i don't picture michael j fox doing that and it doesn't feel natural i mean it it's very like channel alex p keaton michael j yeah. fox yeah. in this role and it's like at this point he's past that point in his career a little bit and you know we want more from you michael j fox we've seen that you can play a different kind of dork in uh in back to the future so give us something here I mean, he had done not 100% successfully, but I mean, he had done Casualties of War before this movie, which was a like a huge dramatic shift for him. And he was good in it, but, the, you know, he was uh, opposite Sean Penn, and it's a tough contest to win in terms of screen presence. So he had been doing other things, and he just, people kept trying to, like, stuff him into the rom-com, mostly calm box. Yeah. And also just like talking animals. Like that was kind of his thing at the end of the 90s. Like Homeward Bound and Stuart Little movies was just his career for about oh, five he years. Was the animal, yes. <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> I mean, I mean, obligatory statement that Michael J. Fox movies inherently make me a little bit sad because I do find him so likable and I wish that he had had the opportunity to do more for longer. So it is fun to see him in his youth and, and healthy and, and not struggling with the things that he does. So there's that. There's better movies to watch him in, though, Yeah, <laughs> by, yeah. by a long shot. Uh, I will say, just like anecdotally for current times, have you seen the Michael J. Fox thing that popped up this week? With Lil Nas X? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah. excited. I'm excited about that. So Lil Nas X, the, the guy that did Old Town Road, has like a single, that's like a, a time-traveling music video, and Michael uh, J. Fox, dressed as a cowboy a la Back to the Future 3, tells him in a western town just whatever you do don't go to 2020 which is also which is also <laughs> roughly the plot of the old town road music video um, which is actually a really fun music video if you've never seen it uh, <laughs> yeah i i unironically love that song uh, <laughs> but if you if you actually really do want to see michael j fox kind of in a i think a role that really suits him 
in mid 2000, he was on Scrubs for a couple of episodes and he plays a doctor who has OCD, which really kind of allowed him to play a very neurotic kind of fidgety character. So, you know, like all the stuff with the Parkinson's and that you, you, you don't, it doesn't even cross your mind because he's playing this character with OCD so well. And Scrubs has that beautiful thing where it's really funny, but it also has that touch of heart and drama when it needs it. And it has just some really great moments, some really great acting. So if you want to see Michael J. Fox doing some really good acting, I just want to throw out a couple episodes of Scrubs in the, that he's in. Yeah, I don't think he is the problem with this movie. Maybe not the right <laughs> casting choice, but I, I he, he's doing what he can with a, in my opinion, a horrible script. the material. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he's present. Because one of the problems with this movie, and Nicole, you brought it up in our docket, is it's it's too much love story, not enough behind the scenes at a hotel story. Yes. And they want to try to do both. And like the actual love story also sucks. So at that point, it's just an hour and a half that feels like three. It's yeah. so long. The the woman the I and I can't remember any character's name um and I don't and I don't know her name off the top of my head so I feel bad just kind of arbitrarily referring to her as the woman the, and the actress is Gabrielle Anwar yes thank you uh, Gabrielle Anwar she's maybe in five minutes of the first thirty minutes of the movie maybe but also I'm agreeing with Nicole that the the hotel stuff was the most fun because I had in my notes like when it's the like when there's the scene when he is with the other concierges doing ticket trades. I was like, "Oh, this is fun. I could, yeah. I could do with more of this." And yeah, uh, what? Tell us all about this secret concierge society. It's like John Wick, but without the guns. Yeah, no, I love the whole prospect of him being that character that always has the right tickets on him at the right time and knows and always knows a guy that knows a guy that knows a guy that knows a guy that can put him on a helicopter yeah and and like there there are elements of that that are really fun and if there was just a more fun and unique and endearing way to incorporate a love story it'd be more interesting but instead the love story is he needs money the rich guy has money the rich guy is having an affair with the younger woman so he has to babysit the younger woman because the rich guy can never be around to tend to her because she needs a babysitter. That was the, that was the little hitch that I didn't anticipate was that she would already have a boyfriend at the beginning. You know, my thought at, in like the first five, 10 minutes of the movie, my thought is that the girl is going to be like the daughter of the hotel owner. <laughs> or somebody else who's, you know, forbidden to him in some way. And at the end, he's going to have to choose either love or money and can't have both. You know, so like 15 minutes in, I wrote down what I thought the plot beats were going to be. All, you know, five of them. Uh, one man is good at job working toward a set goal. Two mm-hmm. man is attracted despite himself to a woman. Uh, this relate He knows the relationship will hurt his job. Number three, man has to choose. Number four, he chooses his job at first and hurts the woman's feelings. And number five, he discovers he doesn't want his goal without the woman and he gives up his goal for love. And honestly, this movie is not that far off. It really, I was no. going to say, you, you like a couple of points. Yeah, it's not it's not 100%, but you're within the no. margin of error. Yeah, uh, so that was 15 minutes into the movie. I wrote that down. I'm like, I bet this is how it's going to go. Yep, because there's, there's a scene <laughs> when they almost kiss and then, oh, no, here's a call oh, no. from, from the man that you're waiting for. And they go and, and talk to him. stopped us. Yep. And he, <laughs> he speaks to him. And it's like he has a chance right there to, to put a stop to the whole thing. But he doesn't because he wants that hotel so bad. 
Right, because the basis of this film is that uh, Doug, Michael J. Fox's character, uh, has saved up all his nickels and dimes of of years of tips so he could put down a $40,000 option on a piece of property on, on Roosevelt Island that he wanted to turn into a hotel that's currently just a dilapidated old building. And a couple questions about that. Um, I mean, first of all, what an awful investment if you don't already have, if there's a timer on that option and you don't already have a secure way of getting that funding that you need, why would you throw your life savings at it? Like he, his life savings are already in the bin and he's not that far from already losing it. And he's like, he's Oh, I guess I'll, on himself. I guess I'll <laughs> ring up rich people. Uh, he, sure. But and that's, yeah, he, he's not doing with, with somebody who knows so many rich people, you'd think he'd be glad handing kind of all the time and kind of pushing for it. But really he is just kind of pursuing the one investor, the whole, like the, through the whole movie. I mean, you know, they, they show like, oh, he's been saving his money because he lives in this little crap hole apartment and he apparently eats the same Chinese takeout every night uh, or every other night because there's always leftovers. And he's got the throwaway visual gag of a, an empty aquarium full of fortune cookies. <laughs> that I did like. That I did like. <laughs> and, and you'd think like, oh, we're going to see him, you know, trying to mention this to like all these people. Like he's really big, good friends with the with Salvatore, who's like living in the hotel, which that was such a weird plot thread, especially with like the gangsters that were going to whack yeah, him. Just yeah, so- can we talk about that? <laughs> sure. So many random plot threads in this movie either go nowhere or just like peter out instantly. Right. Like like Salvatore is this bombastic, gregarious man that's living in the penthouse suite with his wife and they're just really wacky and all over the place. And Well, it's Dan Hedaya playing the same character he played in mm. almost every, every movie, movie he was ever yeah. in. Right. And, uh, and these guys three guys show up with briefcases and one that looks like it definitely might have a gun in it saying, Oh yeah, we have a surprise for him upstairs and we need to go. What's his room number. And they get kind of feisty with Michael J. Fox and no, they're actually going to deliver him a birthday cake and play violin. And <laughs> yep. The movie was about to take a really drastic turn. <laughs> I, I would have the old bugs bunny cartoon where he's like, not happy birthday, not happy birthday. You know? <laughs> This this movie is a a who's who of that guys yeah. of the nineties. Yes. Like I, I I messaged our our Slack that I was like, of course Bob Balaban is in this movie. Of yeah. course he is. Yeah. Udo Cure. We we talked about Dan Hedea, Eric Avari. Who love Eric Avari. Give Eric Avari and everything. Deborah Monk. It's just all these people that you've you've seen in a million nineties movies, but you you probably don't know their name. Well, if you don't know who Bob Balaban is, frankly, well, I don't want to know who you are. Right. You, you, probably, you probably don't know him by name is what I'm saying. You've seen him in, in everything, but you might not know the name Bob mm. Balaban. Uh, I don't know. But you should. Absolutely, they should. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I mean, in any case, you know, Udo Kier showing up because they wanted somebody Germanic and oily. And that's <laughs> and, 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 yeah. <laughs> who, who is more Germanic and oily than Udo Kier? Oh, so. No one. Yeah, so I mean the the supporting cast, it's a it's it's this hugely backfilled cast, and then the main cast is basically the you know, the three people. It's Michael J. Fox, Gabriel mm-hmm. Anwar, and what's his name? The British guy, who I'm just gonna call the British guy, who plays Christian. And he's probably great in lots of other things. 
Anthony but, Higgins, oh, who is actually one of the dudes at the beginning of... He's Gobbler. Who is he in Raiders of the Lost Ark? Gobbler? I don't know who that is, but that's who the hell is Gobbler. Don't know. <laughs> who do you... What? What? How forgettable do you have to be in Indiana Jones that we're sitting here being like, who the hell is Gobbler? Oh, <laughs> Gobbler. Okay, so Gobbler is like... character. Who, uh, who's Gobbler? Small digression here. Gobbler is like the head honcho Nazi that's working for the opposite. The, uh, yeah, who's working for like the opposite ar- archaeologist that Indiana Jones is always competing with. Uh, oh, okay. okay. We were calling him Gobbler. It's, it's definitely <laughs> probably Gobbler then. Gobbler. Yeah. He, he gets his face <laughs> melted off. So, I mean, that that's honestly probably the peak of this guy's career. But other than that, he was in a lot of stage stuff and that sort of thing. British period things. Oh, yes. Sher- young Sherlock Holmes. But that I mean, young. and he's fine, but mm-hmm. you've got three leads and only one of them has any charisma whatsoever. And yeah. it's just, just like, I want to watch everybody else in this movie. Which one do you think has charisma? I'm just curious because... <laughs> I could do four. Okay, because yeah. right, even, even as you said earlier, like he, I agree he has charisma, but it's it just doesn't feel totally right in this movie it's tampered down it's yeah it's like at half it's only turned up to five in this movie <laughs> michael j fox is a glad handing concierge there's so much there there's so yeah. much there that just never potential. never reaches its peak i don't know there's a horse scene that <laughs> i almost rage quit during the horse scene Which so another there's another guy oh, i can't oh, remember, I can't remember the actor yeah. but the the man who takes care of the horse is the guy from Hot Fuzz that no one can understand because he has oh. such the thick accent. Oh, is it really? Yeah. I didn't realize yeah. that. The deadhead horse driver. Um, yeah, okay. When, yeah. He, when, he, when he was revealed to be a deadhead. Come on. That was right. great. That was oh, good. Well, why didn't you say it? You know, so yeah. but just, what a colossally stupid ending toward the end is when he finally realizes he needs to go find a girl and he needs to tell her that the old man is being icky. He... <sighs> He goes to Salvatore and says, hey, you own garbage trucks. Can you just park them on a bridge to stop traffic for me? Your cousin works for Sanitation. Oh, right. It's always a friend of a friend. Yeah. Always friend of a friend. Uh, and then he ha- tries to hop a cab, fails, hops a horse. Like, trades the le- horse for a bike. <laughs> trades a horse for a bike. Right. And No, no, no. But, but, but he has that fantastic scene where he jumps over something with the horse and you hear this terribly ADR yippee ki yay yay as he goes. <laughs> that's where I almost rage Which was quit. in all the trailers. Yeah, that's, that's where I, that's where this movie, it lost me early on, but that's where it made me actively angry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. It took that long? Well, it is, it's so... <laughs> it's like the end of the movie, practically. It, it's so rom-com cliche in the worst way possible. And here's the thing. I'm okay with a cliche fun rom-com. There's some really good ones out there. It, the cliches are cliches for a reason, and I believe that. Oh. But holy shit, was this boring. <laughs> there are a lot of great tropes. Not not great tropes. There are a lot of tropes that we know rom-coms for, right? And like we like to make fun of them, but... That's just like kind of the the heart and soul of a rom com. Like you have the meet cute, which is which is kind of the ever important part of a rom com where the two characters meet, and she bumps into him, and his papers go flying, or he walks into her bakery and knocks over a case of muffins. I don't know. These are just <laughs> usually it's a memorable thing, but we don't have that here. Their meeting is oh they already know each other, 
and he aggressively sniffs her neck while she's at work. It's very creepy and, and weird and would have worked better 40 minutes into the movie if they had chemistry and were already very flirtatious. But as their initial meeting is very, ooh. Gross. Yeah. So <laughs> these ways in which they don't have these tropes is like interesting, but they don't do anything interesting to replace them. They don't make it memorable or different in any good way. It's different in a way that you're just like, ugh. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. Instead of, there, I don't know, somebody, somebody thought they were making it edgy. <laughs> you know, but it's like the safest seven producers gave them notes about their edgy comedy bits. And uh, this is the result of all those mm-hmm. notes being taken in. <laughs> yeah, I, I you can really kind of feel that of like, what if it was more like this? And what if there was more of this? And there's like, sure. Uh huh. Sure. Whatever. Come on, Barry Sonnenfeld, stand up for yourself. What if he was negging her the whole time? <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of moments in this movie where I just went, oof. Yeah, oof. And, he, and he is just like, you're right, he is negging her like the whole time. Was it, what's that line? It's so much to the point oh, where, like when I was talking about the idea that this movie treats the women like accessories, it's so much to the point that like when she shows up at a house party at Christian's estate that she's not supposed to, he is charged, uh, he being Michael J. Fox, is charged with removing her from the premise by just picking her up, lying to her, and basically telling her, oh, you'd be hysterical if I told you the truth. And then just like throwing her off a building, <laughs> like literally chucking her off the second floor. It's insane to me. It, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty bad. Though it, we do briefly get a, get a nice little cameo from Vic Isaac uh, Mizrahi. Mizrahi. But so. that, a character that should have been in more of the movie, if you ask me. Yeah. Now, it was a huge mistake putting him and Gabriel Anwar in the same room because he is a non-actor. He's only in the movie for five minutes and he's got like 10 times her screen presence. Yeah. And he's not really an actor either. He just has a lot of charisma and personality. <laughs> now, did you guys like what this movie does try to do with like poking fun at rich people? Like, like for instance, it has that scene where they're outside the door. It's like, Oh, whose mistress is in the room. And every single dude has a different, a different mistress. And they're all thinking, Oh, it's X, Y, and Z, but it's not. And it's funny because they all have mistresses that aren't the mistress in the room. The slapstick in this movie is so painful. It's bad. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of moments where you can tell uh, based on the people who wrote it based on their IMDb. They thought we are so clever. This is really, this is really clever. There were, I mean, there were a couple of really clever little things and they were like throwaway things, Mm -hmm. but they were the best, the throwaway things were the best comedy in the movie. Like there's the tossing the fortune cookie into the aquarium full of fortune cookies. There's the mafia guys coming up in the elevator and the the music in the elevator is the singing nun singing Dominique. (laughs) (laughs) Which was like the world's most improbable uh, pop hit back in the, I think it was like the 50s or the early 60s. You know, just the little teeny things. And what is my favorite moment in the whole movie, which is one, two Hasidic Jews, uh, or I think there's maybe like three of them, but there's, there's two of them have lines, are chasing a man down the street with sticks. And they say, and I quote, these are the lines in the movie. Make fun of our hats, will you? Don't tell us we don't have the lowest prices in town. 
it, it happens at the beginning of a scene. It's so fast, so oh, random, God. never gets addressed, and it's the best part of the movie by a mile. Wow. The anti, the, uh. I, I, I can't even, I can't, like, I don't even know if it's anti-Semitic because. It's, yeah, it's, uh, it's just the, let's call it like a very tired trope. But just of the Jewish diamond dealer, maybe. Don't tell and us. Can we talk about how the guy in the pawn shop is apparently like of Arabic descent of some kind, and he's undercutting the Jewish guy's prices? Oh, there was <laughs> so Eric Avari. There was something I, I saw interesting about him that's relevant to this conversation, which is that he's played over seventeen nationalities in his career. <laughs> that's such a problem. Because he's vaguely ethnic. That's yeah. such a problem. Oh my god! I always think of him in Mr. Deeds. That's always like the where I picture him. Well, I so I looked through Barry yeah. Sonnenfeld's filmography, and I realized that he is the master. He he's a master of mostly nothing except like aggressive mediocrity is his brand. Like we're talking Men in Black sequels, RV, Whoa. Wild Wild West, and Wild Wild West is actively bad. Like, just not good movies, but not like, a, not horrible movies, but I don't want to watch RV. I really don't. Shouldn't no. have said that. He also has made some arguably good movies. Get Shorty, The First Men in Black, Adam's Family and Adam's Family Values. I thought he only made yeah. Adam's Family Values. Oh, no, he did make The Adam's Family. You're right. No, okay. Directed I mean... Can we someday we have to bring Wild Wild West and just talk about Will Smith's complete and utter despondence at the fact that he turned down the Matrix for that movie? <laughs> all, we, all, all we have to do for that one is just release the audio of Kevin Smith telling yeah, the story. I was about to say <laughs> of, that, of how that movie got made, and that's better than any any podcast we could make about it. It's it's hundred percent an amazing 100%. story. Go, go rent an evening with Kevin Smith and. Listen to all the stories, and it's fabulous. Yeah, you can probably find it on YouTube too. That's where I saw at least at least the the story about Wild Wild West and why there's a giant spider, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and and the Superman movie that never was. So it's really more about the yes. Superman movie, but then it it moves into Wild Wild West. It all yes. Is this the is this the Superman movie that never was with Nick Cage? I believe okay. so. That would have been something. Alrighty. Uh, so it's been a long time since a movie this bland made Nicole feel this icky. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, it's like I said, it's all the it's all the negging. It's all him being it's so upset at her for being existing. Uh, for existing for uh, allowing herself to be a mistress who actually believes the lie that he's going to leave his wife. It's telling her. God loved this one. If I'm his houseboy, what's your job description? While meantime, letting not one but two different people get free hotel rooms so they can bang their mistresses and or sex workers. Mm-hmm. And that's perfectly okay. Well, it's, but, a, it, it's okay because he might get his hotel. Right, right. So, I mean, it's just... And, and again, I, I know I've circled around to this a million times, but like the way Andy is written makes her so unnecessarily dumb where 
just yes. everything. She's like, oh, yeah, you really are going to leave your hu- your your wife? And like, and like I, it's just the fact that it keeps happening is what's sad about it. Not that it happened once, just that she keeps getting stood up and lied to by Christian constantly and is so willing and eager at the smallest bit of reassurance to just jump right back into it. And... It, yeah, the writing does her no favors. And never mind her dreams. Never mind her dream of being a singer. Oh right, someday. That, oh yeah. So she's not a great singer, right? Can we at least lay that out? <laughs> she's not great. She can carry a tune, <laughs> but yeah, there was something about her performance where I was just kind of like wincing the whole well, time. It's really she's bad when though. she does the national anthem. She he brings her to to the stadium <sighs> empty to do the national anthem to fulfill a dream, and she's it's not working. <laughs> It's not a good good fit for her voice. No. No. I like that's even worse. Like I, okay, now I have to go even further down this rabbit hole. Because now like <laughs> now I now I'm I, I sort of have to believe that whoever wrote that character is like, oh yeah, and she probably shouldn't even be that good anyway, because God forbid she has talent. Like uh. Yeah. I mean I don't I I don't know. I I just I, I don't know. That's I kind of what I feel like I'm just laying a bet on her being the next hot young thing because she had been in Scent of a Woman and apparently much more appealing in that movie. So she was kind of hot at that moment. She had like a three-year span where she was in a bunch of big movies and then almost nothing until Burn Notice. She's great in Burn Notice. She's so good. That's who she is. Oh, <laughs> yes. She looks so different because she has like much longer hair in Burn Notice and she's a lot tanner in Burn Notice because she's like always on the beach. And she's had some facial surgery. Yeah, her face yeah. is a different shape. <laughs> but other than that, like uh, she's she's fantastic in Burn Notice. I haven't seen it in like 10 years, but I remember it fondly. Eh. I watched I watched one season of Burn Notice and her character was the the one that drove me the craziest really her career was really derailed by michelle monahan coming on the scene and uh because for for a while i was like is that michelle monahan oh no it's it's not it's it's someone else entirely i think people i think casting directors just got the two mixed up and uh michelle monahan who i think is a great actress just uh, has had a better career that felt like an unnecessary <laughs> gig, but it was not. I was about to make a dig at Anna Sophia Robb and how just all the all the gigs that she would have gotten just went to Dakota Fanning instead. Here's what here's what I want to say about it, but my what I felt what I said felt like a really bad dig at like at, at Gabrielle Enoir's acting abilities. I don't think even Michael J. Fox trying his hardest is fine in this movie. Nobody in this movie yeah. comes out great. I. And I can't even say me disliking her character in Burn Notice has anything to do with her as an actress or a human being. It more has to do with I just wasn't a big fan of that character. From what I remember, it's been also like 10 years since I've seen it. Uh, and also, I can't think of enough stuff that I've seen her in to really pass any sort of judgment. So I, w- I just want to say my feelings on her in this movie are not a reflection uh, of the people who produce this podcast or her as an actual actress. Because- David absolutely hates. No, and I also, and I also concede that like, I think, I think any, any longing I have for the days of burn notice being around was mostly just the fact that Bruce Campbell was in a role and he's Bruce Campbell. He's all I remember. So, and I wish he'd be, be in more. <laughs> I will give this movie credit for one thing that's not acting related is that the New York apartments are, accurate. are realistic. Yeah. Yes. A hundred percent. This is one of the, 
when they showed him at first, I was like, oh, he lives in a nice apartment. And I was like, well, that kind of makes sense because he, you know, works a fancy job. Then I realized, nope, that's a pullout couch. He lives in a studio. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And her apartment is like five feet wide. Mm-hmm. So, it's yeah. it's that part's at least accurate. So one of the gags toward the very end of the movie is that our, our aging bellhop that will never, ever take bags in two trips. And he had to have one trip where he carried... Jeez some dude and he brought all the who's bags like it's it's kind of a funny shtick he mixes up some mail and accidentally sends the prospectus of this potential hotel because keep in mind michael j fox at this point he's burned his bridge with christian and but mr wegman it gets sent to him and he calls him up and says wow i'll give you this poultry three million (laughs) dollars I usually deal in loans this right. small. Uh, and this is such a great investment. Yeah. And then and then there's just a flurry of, of story development in 30 seconds where they get married. And, you know, David, you put in our docket, like, how fast did they get married? How long did it take Mr. Wegman to get that prospectus? Why have Michael J. Fox say he wants to get married in a hot dog restaurant and then not have him get married there? They don't pay off on it. Come on. You have him say the line and he's getting married at the end of the, of the movie. They apparently either decided to get married incredibly fast or Mr. Wegman never checks his mail. Like, that's the only two explanations. It took months for him to get that. It had to be really fast because he was, wasn't he going to lose the option in like a week or like a month at the outside? Yeah. (sighs) To be honest, he was so desperate to get in Christian's good graces. I forgot that that <laughs> part of the plot entirely. I don't blame Because, like, you. bear in mind, like <laughs> this this movie is so uninteresting that the way they tried to spice it up, spice it up, was with an IRS audit. Um, because the idea that, <laughs> um, that you know the IRS can come and and knock on his door for not reporting taxes as a. Uh, <laughs> you know, as on he, his tips, on his yeah. tips, um, and of course, this is a uh, you know Bob Balaban coming as the IRS worker, and that is also a dude getting paid off by Christian to put pressure on Michael J. Fox's character to uh, essentially sign away the deed, to the lease to his land that he has optioned. It's just so not interesting. Like it's just not a fun payoff. It's so boring. It also feels tacked on in the way that the IRS man's name is Ed Drinkwater. Drinkwater, which I mean, it's a real, it's a real last name. I've heard that before, but it's. It I felt mean, this, like there's so many tired, 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 tired gags in this movie. You know, you've got the mixed up, the packages going to the wrong addresses gag. You've got mm-hmm. the phone gag where he's got three calls at the same time and he mixes up which person is on which line mm-hmm. and trips over the vacuum cleaner. It's like, eh. and, and I know David also I, does no. this because <laughs> him and I sometimes have some of the same things where like, it's always good when you're about to talk about a show to at least go read through like the trivia page on IMDb. This trivia page on IMDb it's just plot points. <laughs> it, it's like like one of the trivia. Uh, one of the pieces of trivia is Milton sends Christian in the empty Rolex box that was meant to be for Harry as a tax write off, and sends Doug's hotel plans to Harry instead of Christian, which explains why at the end of the movie, after Doug and Andy arrive at the hotel during their wedding and get a call from Harry stating he loves the idea and wants to invest in it. That's not trivia. That's how boring this movie is. No, that is that is part of the. That's yeah. That's They're part just of the plot breaking stuff. down scenes in the. IMDb trivia page. 
The most interesting trivia that this uh-huh. movie has is that after he goes to FAO Schwartz and puts the giraffe in the car in the opening scene of the movie, it goes through the sunroof because it's too tall. And then when the car drives up a few minutes yep. later, it has no sunroof. I I will <laughs> say uh, this movie did give me the dream of driving around New York in a limousine with a giant giraffe sticking out <laughs> of the sunroof. So for all of its crimes, at least I got that out of it. You got to hear a not famous Ray Charles song that he probably recorded sometime in the late 80s or early 90s. Yep. Also that. So for love or money, would you recommend it? Why or why not? Hmm. Let me think about that. Nicole, you have any thoughts? There is not enough alcohol or cannabis in the world (laughs) to make me watch this movie again. The fact that it felt like three hours at an hour and a half is already troubling enough. I mean, there's not even there's not even the whole watch it with some friends. You'll have a good no. time. No, there's not part of it. No, because if you watch it with some friends, you will not have friends. You will not yeah. have friends. <laughs> the, the only thing I think is like you're a Michael J. Fox completionist. <laughs> and you're watching everything I'm going through his entire catalog. That's the only way that I think you're going to watch this movie. Even like even fans of rom-coms, which my girlfriend who loves rom-coms even had gripes with it. So, no, I cannot recommend this. Just there's <laughs> I I am in the boat with both of you. I do want Nicole's several of your quotes to just be on the back of any box set of any Michael J. Fox <laughs> completionist where <laughs> it, it's so unfunny and unendearing. I know neither of those yeah. are words, but well, it's nothing is fun. Nothing is interesting about this movie. It doesn't have anything going for it. The people aren't charismatic. The story isn't interesting enough. Uh, the plot beats about running the hotel, which are f- reasonably interesting, are fleeting in the scape of a larger, incredibly boring love story between two people that have no chemistry. You deserve better from Michael J. Fox movies, and he deserved better from this movie and this screenwriter. And so did everyone else in this movie, particularly the women. Anything anything interesting about this movie is at the periphery. It is the yeah. the, the fishbowl full of soy sauce and, and fortune cookies. It is the people driving around on a weird quad bike with flashing light helmets. Oh, it yeah. is. It is the Hasidic Jews chasing a man through the street. It is everything at the periphery of this movie is the stuff that I enjoyed and nothing about actually what I was supposed to be watching. Yeah, yeah. And I will also say, like, apparently in the last couple days, yesterday, there was a Family Ties reunion Zoom call that was uh, that aired. Sure. So, like, there's there's other my point being is like Michael J. Fox is still around and there's other things you can watch. Watch a little Nas X music video. It's better. Alrighty, I think that'll do that for us on For Love or Money. A reminder, though, that next week is going to be David's pick for future classics. It is Your Name. It came out in 2016. That is a Japanese film. Uh, Is it Japanese? Did I get that right? Yes, it is. Okay. Yes. Uh, Very good. Well, guys, where can we find everybody online? David, what are you up to? Uh, Twitter, Davlas, D-A-V-L-U-Z. Find out what I'm doing there and what's coming out on Hit Me One More Time. That's primarily what I'm up to these days. Very good. And what about you, Nicole? 
I take care of our Facebook page at facebook.com slash moviegorounderoundpodcast, and you can interact with us Very, there. very good. You can find me on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart. You can find all of these links, including where to follow us on Twitter and Facebook, so you can join You Did This to Us Weeks and vote on what we get to watch at uh, social.mgrpodcast.com. We will see you next week with your name. 